and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 50 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Biedler. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Smugly shit out there, kids. Let's keep the world safer for poetry. We are in the lobby of the St. Joe's Lofts. CBD. In the CBD in New Orleans. Constance and St. Joseph Street. Constance and St. Joseph Street. And it's episode 50. And <laughs> I'm drinking coffee. Joseph's drinking a beer. Uh, we have people here. We have people here waiting patiently. We have people waiting outside. We have people in their rooms. Uh, we're going to have a rotating cast of characters and guests tonight. Uh, yeah. Never know who you're going to walk by. We're going to be here recording for an uh, hour and a half or something like that. And um, people come by, read poems, and here to listen, be audience. And uh, here we go. We've got some art up here. We have some art behind us. We have some Greg's art. The icons look really good, big. They do look good. So, I guess, well, we can post some of this, but he does these kind of glyph sort of art, but then he does these pictures of famous people, where he uses the glyphs to make up their faces. So, we've got Jim Morrison, we've got Jimi Hendrix. Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia. James James Joplin behind us. But he was just showing me his Finster. One that he just did. Yeah, Finster's great. He really took it out of the park that time. The Finster's real special. And he was showing just me. finished and it. I was like, "Where did you get that?" He was like, "Oh, I've got to show you this." And he pulled the the medicine bottle out of the cap. The medicine bottle prescribed to Finster mm, for morphine, isn't it? Isn't it? I don't even know. I didn't even or know. laudanum or I was something. Like, yeah. We can maybe bring that artifact out later and uh, talk about Finster, talk about art. But uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to. I guess I don't want to wax, and but I will. I mean, we can take a look back. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. A rewind through episodes one through forty nine. There was poetry. There was politics. Video games. We reviewed Patterson, Uruguayan Dada. New Orleans Poetry Fest, a little Poe, a little Balio. Gina Ferrara, Kristen Sanders came and visited. Max Harris, an Earn Malley episode. We talked about book-length poems, poetry and audience, musical compositions, bards and barflies. Understanding poetry. We talked with David Rowe. We talked about ourselves. We talked about vocabulary, poetry for children. We talked about mimeograph revolutions with John Sinclair. Talked about computers and Ashbury and had Nathan Hawks, Bernard, Bernard Pierce. We did bookmaking and publishing with Munsterman and we talked about free verse with Mixon. Surrealist games with Madeline, typewriter poets, the festival in Uruguay, Bill Lavender. Talked about Dada, personal decks, tribute to Kerwick. Talked about modern sonnets. Talked about poetry reading parties and Frank Leslie, poet you never heard of. We had Megan on. We had Jimmy on. We talked about newspaper poetry. We had Laura and Raina on. 
We had Chris Champagne on. We had Mark Statman dialing in from Oaxaca. We had Jamie on. We had Oscar on dialing in from Chile. We had Chris Sullivan. We talked about love poetry, bookmaking. We had Letterpress with Peter Anderson. We had Ben Alsher. And then we asked, should poets have day jobs? Yeah, so, well, Ben, you're here. So yeah. Oh, hey, Ben. We have past guests, Ben Alsher. Yeah, which is... Recent, recent past. This is where this is where episode fifty becomes a rewind. <laughs> so here we are. We're back in episode forty nine again. Hey Ben, how's it hey, going? Hey. <laughs> Hour number three. Yeah. That was episode forty eight. Oh, it was forty eight. Oh yeah, I forgot. Okay, sorry. Let me edit that. We can edit that out. That's because we can rewind again and go. Episode forty eight with Ben. Since well, uh, two weeks ago that we saw you. I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about <laughs> cannabis culture, and I was just going to say a quick anecdote that uh, this weekend I was working in the quarter writing poster people, and, um, you know, I want to be, like, politically correct and everything, but, like, basically, I don't, I'm not sure how to say this exactly, but basically, like, uh, um, I don't know, like, someone with extreme autism or, or something, like, came by me in the quarter and, uh, and tried to sell me a cannabis cookie and it was like in this little plastic bag and he had like one or two and it was bright green and it was it looked exactly like all of the cookies that everyone made when they were like six years old yeah and they're like flat and like crappy looking and like misshapen and stuff with with, with white icing on it or no um, no it was just like green yeah and uh, and um, I mean I won't like be offensive by like doing an impression of what he said to me, but it was, I was just like, Oh my God, it was like some strange lemonade stand thing, you know, raising money for something or whatever, but it was cannabis products. And I was just like blown away. You yeah. know? How was it? Uh, I didn't know. I was, Oh I was no, near it. I was really? Near Why it. not? No, 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 no. Um, but there might be some advantage to that. Like if you were, Carrying that around, and someone called you, and you'd be like, "No, no, no, no! My kid made this for me. This is mm. and they uh, Patrick's Day. How much was it? <laughs> I did. I I literally was like, "Oh, thank you so much. No, 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 thanks." Did you, Did you write him a poem? <laughs> <laughs> Would you have said something? I won't do it in the voice, but he said like, uh, "You know, do you want to write poems like really good?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I was like, "Oh, thanks, no, no." And he held it up. You guys. Anyway, that's all. Yeah, I like that scene. But that's then, a good scene in the book. He didn't have you ever read Paul Mac. He was on a mission. I was on a mission. Our paths diverged. He was trying to sell his cookie. We were on a divergent path. We were trying to raise yeah, some exactly. It didn't work out. Yeah, I got burned uh, this summer in Berlin at the Mauer Park, the like, gigantic flea market. Someone just grabbed the poem and ran. This exact scenario you're saying, like, oh, well, you write me a poem, I'll give you this cannabis thing or whatever. And I did that. I wrote him the poem, this Spanish guy who was very charming, and he gave me this brownie kind of thing. And I was, he gave me several of them, actually. I was like, wow, like, amazing. He's like this. He's like, take another, take another, take another. I was leaving myself into this strange apothecary of the streets in Mauer Park in Berlin, where there's, you know, there's some painters with some sketches and things. And then there's, you know, dudes with just like piles of brownies and like a weird hat or something. And they're selling all these drugs openly in the street and it's fine. And then I was hawking my poems and I kind of, I felt like I was part of this culture now and that we were having this exchange. And so I saved it for this nice time. 
because, you know, edibles are like a pretty intense thing or whatever. And then, so I had a bus ride. I was taking the bus from uh, Hamburg to Paris. I was like, perfect, perfect, whatever, 14 hour bus, whatever it was. And I eat it and just nothing happens to me. I ate the whole thing. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, shake my fist in the air, you know, four hours in, just like, wait a minute, four hours. I should be. Oh, you should have been within 30 I was like, minutes. Damn, hustled again. Yeah. And you had three of them. Uh, I think he gave me two, and I ate a whole one, and nothing happened. And then so the other one, I like, I, I don't know, I threw it away or something. I thought you were like trying to do them. eat all three of them. No, that's the classic mistake. <laughs> and right? then it kicks in. I've heard that like... story so many times. That's everyone's story. Everyone has the same exact boring story. Do you know? Do you they want and nothing happened, so let I ate me... another one, and then I had to go to the hospital. That's like everyone's let... story. Yeah, let me tell you where that comes from. Uh, as far as uh, drug history, that it goes back to one of the earliest descriptions is a like mid 18th century. No, no, no. It's early. It's early 19th century. Uh, pharmacopoeia of this, mm. this, like, this, like, uh, pharmacist guy yeah. who traveled across the country and he kept a journal of his drug journals. Mm. And it was, it was, it's one of the first journals of, uh, a marijuana trip mm. by ingesting it. What year? Uh, it, like, it's like 1860s. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And, and, it, and what really? he did, what he did was cool. he, uh, he went to a friend of his. Traded, they would trade herbs and just like show what they had kind of yeah. stuff. And he was like, I want some of this cannabis sativa. Yeah. And, um, oh, they even know, even back then there was like this differentiation. Oh, well, yeah, marijuana, that, that word comes in way later, but, uh, oh. uh, as a, as a demonization of the, his, of, uh, Hispanic Latin people. Oh. Um, but, uh, but it, it's, so it's cannabis sativa and he got it and he, and he ingested it and he, he waited like an hour or two and nothing happened. And then he doubled down. He woke up in the middle of the night and was like, okay, or like whatever, late at, like 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. He, he, he like takes it at like seven or eight and wakes up, like he just takes a nap and wakes up at like 10. He's like, nothing happened, you know? He's like, that's crazy. I'm going to take more. Or like, it was like, it was like, it was like an hour. It was like two hours. It was like two hours. And he took more. He doubled down. He took more. And then the first bit kicked in. And it's this insane raving lunatic journal of what happened. Wow. And he's like, what's that? Yeah, at home. Can I read it? Cool. Yeah. Well, it's just something that happens with drugs, right? Yeah. I guess, you know? And you just you take more? Especially if you don't have someone there to be like, yeah, maybe you should wait a second. That's just kind of how this works. Yeah. <laughs> People need, there needs to be, yeah. <laughs> in my mind's eye, I had this scene uh, that I would paint, like, uh, I guess, like, in a, in a like, a, like, nah. In a fictional account of, of of my life as a as a type of poet traveling through Europe. So the, the cannabis <laughs> cookie thing didn't work out for you. Mm. Did any? Did you get? Did you get to write any good poems that night or that day while you're out? Uh yeah, I wrote some for my friend JJ, who plays in this band called Fenster. She was about to do the Camino with her boyfriend Jonathan, who also is in that band. And uh, I had just read this book by Gideon Luce Krauss, who's this writer who writes for, I guess, Harper's or something. He wrote this book called Sense of Direction. It's about the Camino and about pilgrimages in general. Mm-hmm. And I had just read this. I just digested this long book, nonfiction book about the Camino. And um, so then I wrote, wrote a couple of poems about that. 
yeah, there was some good, it's a good time. I love, like, Mauer Park is amazing. I mean, some, it's a pretty magical place. The, the way I know it is because my band used to busk there, like, 10 years ago or whatever. And while we were busking there in this flea market, Jared Leto happened to see us. And uh-huh. you might not know, but, like, in Europe, like, in America, he's not really known for this. He's, he's like, an actor. But in Europe and other parts of the world, he's, like, super famous musician with this band called 30 Seconds to Mars. And they sell out arenas all over Europe. And he saw us busking in Mauer Park and just invited our band to open for him in these arenas. I think that band's pretty popular here, too. With music? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Is there... Is it? Yeah. Huh. It's more of a... It's like a little... It's a little kind of like... Like, uh... Is it kind of like a... Junior high, like power pop, rock thing, though. Are you sure you didn't eat college? College? Yeah. Okay. Are you sure you didn't eat the pop pop cookies? <laughs> no, it was real. It was okay. real. It was real. There's evidence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so you got to write. It's a podcast. <laughs> so you got to write the poem for your for your friend. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a good time. Did you want to read anything for us today? Or, or you didn't bring anything? Uh, I didn't really. I guess I have some like new poems from this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, read one. Took, um, read one. Oh, yeah. Something interesting happened. Um, so this the first poem I wrote yesterday was for this kind of uh, clearly wealthy, probably conservative, you know, country club type person who asked for a poem about golf. Um, kind of challenging me to write a poem about golf. Like he was really skeptical about my whole thing. Um, and, uh, and you wrote a Trump poem. Well, this, this is what I, I would write a poem about English term. Um, and I should add that after he read it, he paid me $20 and then he took all these photos with me and was like, we're going to put this up at the country club and we'll send you photos of it once we like frame it at the country club. This is what I wrote for him. Golf. Immaculate expanse of manicured lawn where the fates of entire continents are decided by a hair's breadth, by the lay of the land, by something as capricious as an ill wind's direction or velocity. Billions of lives hang on the balance of your scales. Oh, great compassionate arbiter. Oh, gentle, club-wielding protector, we can only carry your weapons so far till we rip up the sod and turn them against you. (laughs) So I basically wrote this poem about, like, beating him to death with his own golf club, and he was like, great, I love it. Like, here's here's all this money. Isn't that strange? It's about worth about 20 bucks. (laughs) I hope that he golfs at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tr- you know, Obama played a lot of golf too. Like all, and Obama was an imper- imperialist. Like you know, these things are all kind of uh, well. Presidents all a lot of people play golf. golf. For some reason. Like it's the it's the yeah. space where it's the space where you know things are decided in a sense. It's the space it's where you pretend like you're important. Yeah, I guess. Well, no, oh, come in, please. 
What's happening? <laughs> How's it going? Great. What's up? What are you guys doing? We're recording a podcast. That's awesome. I sort of thought that might be what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is just like... Uh... Okay, we feel just like pop into your podcast. You yeah, can jump in absolutely. if you want. Yeah. Just introduce yourself and then go. Uh, Asher Reisman is my name. I am an unpublished poet. Okay, so yeah. you're not you're not showing up on accident. You're trying to pretend like <laughs> turning your This is entirely <laughs> Do you live I here? I do. Okay, so Asher lives over here. We've met before. Yay, Asher! You're Jeff's new roommate. No. How are you? Jeff Pagano does all the music for our podcast. He does. He is the resident musician. Small world. And has been on here many times. He's in our apartment right now. Yeah, I told him to come over here, but he's too good for that. How do you guys know Austin? Or I met Austin at the Children's Resource Library. Right, where Jeff works. Yeah. 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 I also work at the library. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose I've introduced myself sufficiently. So do you, do you want to talk about some poetry? Do you have any, sure. any pressing poetry concerns pressing or poetry, poetry you want to read? Um... Well, actually, I suppose I should plug this while I'm here. Uh, Wednesday, there's going to be the start of a new art series called Revisions and Inflections. It's at the Brand New Orleans Art Gallery. There's going to be... This is this coming Wednesday? This is this coming Wednesday. Well, this yeah. podcast will not be out until That's, next Saturday. Oh, so. that's too bad. <laughs> that doesn't help a lot, but is this a reg- if it's a regular series... Well, I suppose I can tell you guys. <laughs> if yeah. it's a regular series, it might help, but... Yeah. Well, I can listen to all the people in the room, I suppose. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, there's going to be a... It's organized by Taylor Ott, who's an opera singer who lives in New Orleans. Okay. And it's a, going to be a mix of music, performances of music, performances of kind of like poetry, spoken word stuff, and also some dance. Is this, gonna be one, is this a one-time thing, or is it going to recur? It's going to recur, but the schedule is not yet set in stone. Okay, so we can still include this thing. It's going to be a recurring thing. Sure. And this is what art gallery again? The Brand New Orleans Art Gallery. Okay. So it's called Brand. And where is that? Where is that? It's somewhere in the CBD. Somewhere in the CBD. Like uh, like Slave Brand or uh, (laughs) Marketing Brand? (laughs) It's sort of going with a second one. Yeah. Well, maybe if you send us the address, we can put that in the in the should the liner is that might show. help for people to show up. Uh, yeah. uh, but anyway, I'm, that's good. That's, make a long story that short. That's a good idea. Yeah. So it's a so it's a music yes slash poetry event, which is yeah, always a good thing. Yeah. Long story short, I'll be reading something there, um, but I don't have any of it here with me. Well, do you have something else you'd like to read? Sure. Animal memorize. Oh. What's that? Um. I don't have too many of my own memorized. Well, you can read somebody yeah. else. If you want. No, I don't. I'm yeah. trying to think of a funny one. Oh, I do actually have a funny poem of my own that I'll read. I always feel it's good to give the people something uplifting, right? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an overstatement. It's Sunday. It's okay. It's, it's the day of uplifting. Yeah, the day of uplifting. Uh, this one, this is called Sobering. And I wrote it after, uh, about a week after a wedding that I went to. Past time to put an ender to this bender. It was Ethan wed, and Alex wedded, not thee. 
meet and right and joyful thing, to reflect in moon manner such great happiness. But by manners, man, be the lunary, not lunatic. It's with such blunders you grow blander, blinder, blunter, dulled past polishing when you ought to be publishing. Still, there's an end to such ruminative dividends. Few wonders touch fermentation, but there's little worth the fever and the fervor of a splendid love to be found in a smoked and pickled brain. Can <laughs> <laughs> I ask you a question about it? Can I, you? I like the I, end. I, like I feel like end. if we, yeah, ask all the questions. I like the end. Yeah. Why? Why? Um, I like that. Yeah, I like the ending lines a lot. Um, well, it's just smoked and pickled because I, I pickled it with alcohol. Oh, that's not the problem. I'm asking. I like the ending line. Yeah. That's not a. That's not a problem. Um, <laughs> that's not the why? problem. <laughs> <laughs> why? Because nah, Because I find a, a lot of a lot of my students do this. Why the V in there? Um, I think of it in a couple of ways. It is this sort of elevated thing. Um, okay, and I try to connect it to. Intimacy, because that's the like the origin in the English language of the V pronoun is as the it's like the two form in French. But does that seem intimate to you if someone says the the vu the vu form? Is <laughs> well, the vu form is the formal form, and the V but the V in English is an intimate. Oh, thou, thou yeah, is thou. Yeah. But now, if someone talked to you and said the, would you find that intimate? Maybe if they thought the same way about it if we'd, like, agreed on it beforehand. But this is actually a good example of, like, how I understand poetry, is I think of it as, in some ways, a kind of progressive violence done against language in ways that Whoa. express certain patterns. Okay, I like that idea. What do you mean by that? Well, so there's a few... I think about a few things poets do, and one of them, I think, is preserving kind of archaicisms, like old words. Like, I was just reading Spencer earlier, and he's got... Consciously, like he's writing yeah. around the same time as Shakespeare, but he has very consciously all of these um, archaic spellings of words and playing around with the spellings of words and also like consonants or vowels that had shifted by then. He's making use of rhymes that probably wouldn't show up in the language in his time. So that's one kind of archaic. This is just a kind of, kind of academic but very like explicit example of that sort of archaicism? No, I like that. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I like that idea, but I think... Hmm. I mean, it's weird, though. How Maybe V do doesn't finally work. I have to say I'm often you, unsatisfied. Yeah, I'm, 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 not trying to be, I'm not trying to be uh, like no, I, super credible. Because yeah. that stuck out to me. But it's like... Uh, I got like a, I appreciate it in a kind of like um, like a Puck or Mercutio sort of monologue sense. Mm-hmm. Like it seems to be emulating that or trying to riff on that wordplay, should demo puns, mm-hmm. kind of yeah, running exactly. monologue, uh, wit, like a battle of wits with someone you're not sure who yeah. or whatever. Wit, wit is sort of the magic word. Yeah. There, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I guess, so I guess maybe I didn't get that from the way that you, the way that it came across in the poem, but because I think like, uh, if you're gonna, so you're, it's almost, you're trying almost for a comedic thing to some extent. To some extent, I mean, yeah. I preface this as one of my funny poems. Yeah. And like, I laughed when I wrote it. But the way I deliver it is kind of earnest. And it's like, and the reason I deliver it with earnestness is like, I know I'm gonna come along to this thing about splendid love at the end. And splendid love is something that I think is 
real and worth pursuing in a, in a sense, the kind of elevated sense that you would find in Shakespeare and in maybe Dunn, that, that period of poets. Uh, something that's approached with almost a kind of religious earnestness. But I like those yeah. last lines. The reason I like those last lines is because I think it does what you're trying to do. Like, it is kind of funny mm-hmm. while being over mm-hmm. the top at the same time. Yeah. I almost, right. I almost wish there was a little more contrast. Because I feel mm-hmm. like if you were... I understand what you're saying. Like, I almost feel like you need more of a shift in register to make that be I like funny, that. Yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, like, if there was more of a shift, if you had some modern things right after it, it might mm-hmm. make it feel a little more obvious that it's supposed to be comedic. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I will keep, just, uh, no, I, I'll keep that in mind as I revise this poem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're I'm learning sorry. here. I didn't, I didn't, you didn't know yeah. that there was going to be a... A teachable moment. It's, no, it's good. <laughs> You're a teacher of po- of poetry? You have students? Uh, well, yeah, I, no, I do do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, I teach creative like writing. It. I teach high school students creative writing, too, which is an interesting nice. experience. <laughs> Let's just uh, keep me updated with this, guys. Uh, yeah, no yeah. good, no good poetry. happened in the building? Well, Jeff does. Jeff does your music. We don't normally do it in the building, but... We probably come we back. We do it again at some point in the building. But, um, yeah, uh, ask Jeff, or you can talk to us. And definitely send us the information about that reading we were talking about so we can put that in the show notes. So sure. Yeah. No, we're just nogoodpoetry.com. Nogoodpoetry.com. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Absolutely. We have another visitor. You can sit down and introduce yourself and... Read a poem, recite a poem. Uh, my name is Fun. I'm a local artist in New Orleans, and uh, I have a poem that's very short, maybe a little bit more comedic. It's called Ice Cream Headache. All right. Soft, creamy, delicious, wonderfully sweet and malicious, covered on top with thick chocolate slop and a whipped creamy mountain of cherries. Bang, bang, bang comes the pain, the pain from an icy cold brain. Wait till it's gone, then gobble on. Pain from an innocent frozen dairy. <laughs> Short and sweet, like Shel Silverstein. Hey, nice. Y'all have a That's good. <laughs> gobble on. <laughs> I'll read a poem, Jessica. All right. Oh, now we're getting like a medley of poetry is coming in. So, this is Raina, my wife, again. Raina Zelinsky, poet. Poet Raina Zelinsky is here with us. I don't smoke in the morning. Fresh blueberries you raise to leaky brown bags waist high in glee. I'm looking past you anyway, trying to decipher where the land meets the sun, why that tree is so bent on waving at me. Why blueberries? Mealworm texture bleeding blue. I wave you past me in the rocking chair, exhale heavily. My trail of smoke tries to follow you, banging against the screen door you. You are safely inside. I go back to smoking. Pat down existence, splatter earth pieces on a coffin. It's not enough to want you. Again and again I smoke. I smoke your slick dick. I smoke your frowning Ray-Bans. I smoke the dirty rivers on your pudgy face. I go on a walk. I smoke the feet in concrete cracks. I smoke the dappled sunlight. I smoke dandelions. Dandelions for dinner. Doing the laundry later, I will not smoke your 
disgusting sweat, Catholic permeating permanent sweat. Me forces I to do all the laundry twice. I separates our clothes. Me washes yours in bleach, keeps them in a special net far away at the back of the house. And still, still the disgusting sweat. My nose makes many squirrely cones, red for leaking lungs, green for body odor. Maybe I should add some blueberries and serve it on a platter. It's not enough to want. I smoke until you are snoring, the tenants stomping on their floor in grief, sneaking to the baby's room. I risk the raw exposure, steal space from your sweat, always creeping back, slouching along, looking for a kiss. In the darkened hallway, my lighthouse beckons, a burnt sienna finger waves. It's funny, Mouse. <laughs> Just taking it in. Just taking it all in. That's a great poem. I like that a lot. Yeah, what did you like? I mean, it starts with this. I mean, the, the central kind of premise is in the title of the poem explains why the speaker is not smoking in the morning. And so it goes into all these, um, it kind of paints all these personal images and stuff uh, about smoking or not smoking. Um, but then there's, it's punctuated by these statements that are not about those imagistic things. They're more like philosophical statements. Um, it's not enough to want you kind of comes in between all these images, you know, which is kind of like, uh, that seems like to me the, the, what the poet is really trying to say, those moments in a poem when there's like, there's this painting of all the images of the stuff that's happening, but then there's almost like this parenthetical statement of what the poet is really trying to say to the, to either the reader or to the character in the poem. And then it kind of moves into, it changes, like it's not a single thing about smoking, it changes into this like metaphor. Well, I don't know if it's a metaphor, but it changes to be about like sweat. Um, this idea of like sweat and all these situations in which it is arising and stuff. And then that statement comes back, and uh, it sort of ends in. I mean, it ends in, in like an ambiguous way. But I think that uh, you know, obviously, I just heard this like thirty seconds ago. I can't like make some proclamation about its like ultimate meaning or something, but. Maybe that's also the point of leaving a poem ambiguous, like in the same way that a lot of nonfiction is like intentionally left ambiguous because it it forces you to kind of keep rereading it and stuff, which is what well, I'm trying yeah. desperately to do right now. <laughs> smell as smell as a stand-in for a relationship makes a lot of sense. That's a pretty important thing, right? Smell. Yeah. yeah. How did I do? That was a lot of pressure. How did I do? Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> She's like three inches from me, like like staring at me. <laughs> no, I love <laughs> Well, it's also hard to you know first, especially of uh, like that was a two-page poem, and there's there's multiple. It's not a single conceit. Like there's multiple things going on, and it's hard to kind of like you can't just necessarily instantly kind of diagnose everything going, what it's trying to do, you know, it takes a little bit to... But that's fun. I mean, I think the gorgeous thing about reading yeah. poetry in an environment where expecting people to respond to it yeah. is that you're just looking for, like, how did that yeah. play out with you? Was it working? Yeah. Was it, what, what was working? What was... I mean, I was 
Yes. Yeah. Ginger too. So I'm always looking for criticism. Where, where? Stupid. Armed to the teeth. <laughs> 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 where is that? Like, to listen to you saying, like, this is, this is, this is why this feeling happens. This is what I'm going to do. Like, you need to listen to it. You need to be, at least you're yeah. wanting to read it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting being like a cold, like a cold read of something. It's like actors say that, like a cold read. They're just like thrown on stage with the script and they, they didn't have a chance to look at it. I feel like poets have that too, and there's like a... And the same thing with reading. That's the first time yeah. I read that out loud. Yeah. Well, well, well actually, yeah. I lied. I read it out loud to my Lyft driver on the way here, because I was like, nice. I think I'm going to have to read that out loud when I get to my husband's poetry. What'd they say? What'd they say? Oh, she was like, oh my god, I love it. Well, cool. Yeah, is well, it's probably a good sign. She was like, there's lots of good yeah. imagery there. It's probably just for a lay person who's not thinking, yeah. like maybe some of us are thinking, looking at like what 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 imagery is happening, what metaphors are happening, what's the sound quality like? But for just like a random person to be like, oh, I could picture a lot of that stuff in that makes sense to me. Like that's yeah. Probably. No, I mean that that's sure. probably a good sign for the imagery, and but yeah, it's probably also a good sign if um. Also, random person, you read them a two-page film in their car, and they're not like... Well, I mean, I'd be, you know, I'd be real concerned if you can understand the poem fully in the first read, especially just listening to it, even reading it on page, like, that'd probably be bad, right? I'm glad you gave it to me, because I was, I was, I was, I was <laughs> like, I mean, it really is, maybe I'm a more visual, I don't know, it's like, when I, I have to see things on the page to be able to kind of oh, man, digest them, you know? I do that we... We did yeah. this podcast about uh, the love poetry and just for this long, it's like a six, seven yeah. minute long uh, poem. I just I was like, like oh, yeah, give me okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's talk about it. Talking yeah. about this yeah. well without looking yeah. at it. Um, Alright, we're going to start sending poems to guests before we read them on the Maybe we could turn like. If we could. What if we could? What if we could gamify the workshop method a little bit, right? Imagine if we could send, you know, you like a packet of like five poems, and then we could have like four people here in a game show system and be like, okay, and then you pull out a card and it's like, okay, we're going to poem number six, and it's like, you read it, it's like, okay, what color was the lark's wings at midnight? Was it two p.m. or was it four or was it seven? Was it Mary Jane? No, but we're just no. I was th- just thinking about how we could. Be, 
it could be reading app. No, seriously, because then you would really have to read the poems and know the poems. Well, you know, and work, and it could be a method on how to workshop the poetry. It could be an interesting. I mean, you could do something interesting, I suppose. Okay. We're gonna have to talk to your VR guys about this. Okay. But um, I I would like to see like a what about some like collaborative VR poetry that could be awesome. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to like leave someone a note somewhere. Like in the VR world, like I'm like, hey Ben, I left you a note in front of the Benjamin Franklin statue, and Ben would have to. Uh, go to the Benjamin Franklin statue with his little app and unlock it by standing there and opening it up. But you have to go there. What if you give them the poem and you're like, okay, I'm going to leave this poem and you add these things or you these Like an exquisite corpse. Like an exquisite corpse. We have a birthday in the house. There's a birthday in the house. You want to come say hello for a second? Call me sit here. Uh-oh. Hello, <laughs> 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 I'm Dangerous Rose, and I'm celebrating my 24th birthday, Meth How you feeling? Um, I feel great. I think so good. Yeah, this is X-rated, by the way. You can say anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a podcast. I think we should say that we have a mature rating. A very fabulous... Hunters. Some sort of leopard skin, but not quite leopard skin. I'm actually Duck Dynasty. You're Duck Dynasty. Yeah, Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Nice. It's actually like a whole thing of ducks that you can't see from like... Oh, those are ducks. Yeah, it is ducks. Wow, that's... They're in like... They're in like a formation. They're like hanging. They're in the color pattern of like... It's like... It's like a duck that's been hunted and hung up. <laughs> it's like duck pelts. Duck, duck, that's nice. I like that. Duck, duck, goose. So what is the topic of today? Well, this is Sounds a like a kid's podcast. game. So anything poetry. Really? Um, I don't have any my favorite poems on the top of my head. Who are your favorite poets? Thanks to Hughes. All right. Yeah. yeah. That would be one. <laughs> Really good idea. What happens to a June deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Does it fester like a sore in one? Does it sink like rotten meat or crust like sugar over like a crusty sweet? Maybe it sags like a head heavy load. Does it explode? I haven't read this in so long. I've read this in so many memories. <laughs> That's a good poem. Yeah. That's the inscription to Raisin in the Sun. Nice. Which I read with my ninth graders. It doesn't really 
great, great documentary. Um, like the original version of this time. Read the play. Yeah, but I don't know. Years back, I saw the recent version. It doesn't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> you said it doesn't touch it. It doesn't touch doesn't. it. No, no. Well, Lorraine Hansberry was twenty-seven when she wrote *Raisin in the Sun*. She was the first um, African American woman to not only have a play on Broadway, but to have a play. Um, published, period, and she died before she was 40 from breast cancer. Whoa. She did. She was 27 when Raising the Sun got on Broadway. Wow. And that wow. is a seminal work of America, right? Like, and the way that it continues to crystallize, in particular, the Chicago housing segregation, but there's no, there's almost no difference now. Well, it closed to Brady Green, which made some difference, but oh, well, it's still. But you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I mean, it's still pretty segregated, regardless. But, and yeah. the interesting fact about the mama, one of the seminal characters whose husband has just died, and they had they had been freed slaves, and they worked so hard, they somehow got to Chicago, made enough money. They put away life insurance, and then they're how did she get that play put on? I wonder. That's crazy. It's, it's yeah. a crazy story because she doesn't. Oh no! There, there's. I don't remember the story, but it's amazing. I don't know. And I mean, I guess part of it's like hitting, yeah, hitting things at the right time. I mean, the topic was certainly that was the right time to do it, but still, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Every time I teach it, the kids still recognize it, and then we do at the same time like modern segregation in urban city. Well, great! Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah so thanks for that. So glad you came to my first birthday. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Four, twenty-four. <laughs> thanks, so we Dave. Have David Rowe, past guest from one of our Six Bullets episodes with us. Yeah. I'm I'm good, thank you guys. I got a plug to make, y'all. Please. Right, so, uh, yeah, I'm engaged, and me and my fiance are going to be reading at the Maple Leaf uh, the day after Cinco de Mayo. So, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Man, I thought you I lived in Mexico. I thought you lived in Mexico for a while. You don't know what Cinco de Mayo means? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you guys. So, May the 6th. <laughs> At the Maple Leaf. That's cool. No, that's cool, man. Nice. Me and Caroline Harley Zimmer are going to yeah. be, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do exactly. Maybe call and response, or she'll go first, ladies first, or whatever. All right. That's sexy. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a poem. It's called Junior's Story. It's a persona poem. I'm a rape baby. Least that's what my moms will say when she's feeling some kind of way. Meanwhile, she gave me his same damn name. So what does that tell you? That he needed to force himself on her? No, indeed no. Of course, my bio daddy OD'd at 23, 
So I never will know his side of the story, hell. I never even got to meet him. But I've heard from cats around town that I'm his spitting image, right down to the way I play. Plus, I've peeped all the old YouTube videos and shit. Guess you could say I've gone from trumpet prodigy to prodigal son. The only difference being I'll die before I ever darken her door. Way again, that dirty whore. She done made her decision when she up and moved dude on him and shows him over me. Anyway, I was all fucked up on Four Loco and Mojo Weed the other day and went walking by the river when, no joke, a voice told me my talent was pimping me. And man, I took that shiny, pretty horn of mine and smashed it against an old oak tree. You heard me. All day, so, what was the uh, inspiration? Well, I'm a social worker. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's no one in particular. In fact, I'm a junior. If you want, to know. but it's the stories you hear. Yeah, yeah, you got to do something with it. So, yeah, um, that's a pretty new one. And if I might, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read one inspired by, uh, well, this is a funny story. When I was in Paris, uh, there was this gal and I was reading her roomie. Okay. Right. Yeah. I was trying to, <laughs> As uh, one does. yeah, right. I was trying to pick her up and, and well, hold on. <laughs> So, uh, her name was Summer and yeah, and she was, she was an Arab girl. And when I was done, okay. And I'm reading it out of the book. She said, that's beautiful. When did you write it? (laughs) I said, shit, Summer, I didn't write this. So I rewrote it for her. All right. After Rumi via Coleman Barks for Summer. She lets everything from hairbrush to metro ticket to pomplamoose be her beloved's name. She loves him so much, she conceals his name in many different phrases, the inner meanings known only to her. When she says the Eiffel Tower is all lit up, she means my love is wanting me. Or if she says, look, the sun and the moon are sharing the sky. Or the bistro is open for business. Or the wishing well is filthy. Or my shoes are too narrow for my feet. Or I can visit Haiti without a visa. Or the broken stick frightens away the gazelle. Or the fucking Wi-Fi signal is weak today. Anything she praises, it's his touch she means. Any complaint, it's his absence. When she's hungry, it's for him. Thirsty, his name is an orangina. Cold, he's a big old Gore-Tex parka. 
the miracle Jesus did by being the name of God, she feels in her lover's name. Others have many things and people they love. This is not the way of friend and friend. Damn, David, you really wanted her to love you, huh? <laughs> you don't have the original. You, you have and the original. Jesus. Oh, like, like a whole, yeah. Yeah, Coleman Barks. Yeah, I can find you it. It's it's an excerpt. Okay. And I'll end, I suppose, with uh, one to my daughter. Mm, I'm trying to think of what the inspiration for this was. Oh, so I read uh, Yeats' prayer for his daughter, and that's too precious. And I read uh, Fitzgerald's letter to his daughter, and that's too cold. So hopefully I rectified it to mine. For my daughter on her 10th birthday, I'm not sure what your mother has told you, but in honor of your reaching double digits, and since I can't be at your party, I want first of all to urge you to learn how to turn weakness into strength. A baseball pitcher by the name of Three Finger Brown threw with so much topspin on the ball, thanks to his mangled hands, he made the Hall of Fame. At a midtown Manhattan party, somebody inadvertently danced on Dizzy Gillespie's trumpet, so he played it and made it the bent-up instrument, his signature. One of the most advanced styles of Kung Fu imitates the movements of a wino. And because singer Sam Cooke couldn't hit the high notes, he developed his inimitable soulful yodel. Even more than a person's eyes, his laughter reveals his real character. Shun people who would try to pass the pravity off as sophistication. Whatever else you pursue career-wise, I can advise you to pick up a trade or a craft. It will both keep you grounded and from ever going hungry, dear. I've found it's a profound mistake to recycle a failed romantic relationship. There are very good reasons it didn't work out the first go-round. If the motive for something in this world completely escapes you, it's probably money. For better or worse, casual sex is a contradiction in terms for people like us. Poverty, loneliness, and sobriety hard to abide as they are often beat the alternatives. Granted, I'm typing this on a laptop while listening to my iPod. Still, I'll encourage you to always bear in mind how the Rasta men of Jamaica pronounce technology takeawayology. Beauty like yours is tremendous power wielded responsibly. Another rule of thumb Something has become an unhealthy addiction once it's begun to interfere with the reason you're here on earth. 
When it comes to alchemy, I'm neither an adept nor so inept that I'm unable to at least identify for you two mother loads of lead for your crucible. One, suffering, and two, breath. Well, for a score of grown-up reasons, I'm not in your life right now, but just as butterflies manage to migrate from Maine to Mexico every season, I'm trusting this lone birthday kiss of a poem must wing its eventual way to you. That's it. So I like that poem, man. So that to me is like the most Franco Harry of your poems. Really? I well, have, I have the day um, at a die right here. Yeah, well, well, yeah, that's that too. <laughs> that's but, but because of the whole idea of like writing directly to someone, did that was that part of writing that in any sort of way? Of like, kind of was that because I don't you? I think a lot in your poetry write things for people, yeah, but don't write things to people. And that's one where you're writing it directly to your right, daughter. Right. Did that make some difference to you of how how you approach that or how you... Well, that's a hard thing to answer. I mean, I I, uh, I was given Austin. We're going to be hearing from Austin the advice of, uh, you know, when you're just starting out like he is, you got to uh, tackle the big three, I think. So, you know, there's the voice there's the subject matter you choose you know like in the, and then the audience okay so like what are you gonna presuppose the audience knows and this kind of thing um and i i was telling them that as far as uh, addressing things like you know you gotta think of your your uh audience very directly like um Maybe, maybe it's, you know, your dead grandpa, uh, someone you want to do proud. Maybe somebody said once, everything I write is to make somebody fall in love with me, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very, that one's very directly to my daughter, you know, um, it's a special case. Like, you know, one day she'll read it, you know, it's been published in a journal and anthology, but how do you feel about that compared to other things that you write that aren't specifically towards a person? Like, when I hear you read that, it sounds different and feels different mm-hmm. than when you read other things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've read that poem a few times. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have. Where? <laughs> Because we live in the same community. No, it's we published it on. You put it on Facebook. I've read it. My daughter is turning ten this year. I went back. I read it last year. I went back and read it again this year. You know, like there's. I sent it to you. You sent. I think so. Yeah. I didn't read it in in any published arena, but I have read it myself. Joseph and I have read it together. We've talked about it. We've talked about it in relationships with my daughter. But but I have to say, take this with a grain of salt. I would have to say, I would not put this into your poetry canon. 
Like, this is a different thing. It's different in some nice ways. And, it, so, and it's yeah. different in yeah. nice ways, but it's not, it also doesn't live up to your poetic abilities in other ways. Mm. And I think that's because it's so incredibly personal, right? Yeah, well, uh, I'm on my best behavior. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. You're literally sitting on the pulpit. Oh, yeah. And praying at the at the statue, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's funny, though, like, I mean, no, no, I think you have in the past said that about, like, comparing it to Fitzgerald's letter to his book. Mm-hmm. But I actually see a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, I'm a <laughs> Irish former drunk. And, uh, and that's not any, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that's not bad, downplaying the letter in any know, way, I but, know. like, it's I'm, an interesting thing it, when we it. think about, like, the way that we write to a person oh, yeah. specifically with them in mind and doing it for them as when we do well, something. And, you know, and I, I mean, so I, I can't help listening to it and think of O'Hara. That's yeah. why I said that. O'Hara has plenty uh, of yeah. poems uh, that, you know, they came out with the uncollected, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. which, which I like, but it's very different it's from very the rest different. of it. It's yeah. so different because he was not expecting those things right. to be Just published. Just letters. And I think that's an amazing yeah. Yeah. aspect too, right? Oh yeah. And it yeah. doesn't. It, that's not to say that there's anything better, less, whatever. Like that's not how I would think anyway. No, that's but funny. It's a different yeah. part of David the poet. Yeah. Right. Well, that's funny you said that because I was looking at those. I was trying to find some things for my students, I think, and I was like trying to get them to think in a more personal aspect. And I was like, let me look at those uncollected mm-hmm. poems of Frank O'Hara, mm-hmm. and I went to look at them. And I still loved them, but they're so hard to explain why they're good because mm-hmm. they don't they <laughs> don't follow personal, any of the. Yeah. They're very personal. There's there's not much imagery in them at all. Like they're very just kind of straightforward with their saying. And to explain how do you do that well, as opposed to how do you not do that well, which you do it, do that it's, well. It's it's it's. it's, it's Thing and I'm not yet, and I like that in that poem you just read. I think you do do it well, but it's hard to explain how do you do that well as opposed to not doing it well. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but well, no, I mean, um, I remember, I remember that O'Hara, you know, uh, looked at Mayakovsky, you know, absolutely, and, and yeah, it was, it was that, um, that intimacy, you know, it's it's a strange mix with Mayakovsky too, you know, because he, he could be so, so personal and yet, you know, and they get really abstracted, the you know? surreal, yeah. yeah, yeah. But David, what you did do with a very personal experience, it's obviously about you and your daughter's relationship, and you mentioned very intimate things that another person would not have experienced necessarily. And yet, I have a daughter who's turning 10, and I have read that poem again twice this year, thinking about that. You know what I'm saying? Even though we don't have the exact same experience, I'm not away from her, Like, but I can, I can recognize things that you're saying, even though they're not images, even though they're totally abstract, sort of like, in some ways, very trite things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Don't fuck everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, save yourself for people yeah, who like I mean, you. But That's a funny thing about trite things, right? Is you can only, do trite things in ways... Well, but they're only trite... When they sound trite. They're only trite based on what they're put next to. Mm-hmm. And they're only trite mm-hmm. based on slight turns of phrases. Yeah, you, like, you fall back on the craft, you know. So, yeah. part of the reason why I kicked Mongo's out of his chair was because I just wanted to tell you that, like, as much as that poem is very much about you and your daughter's relationship and very singular to that, you have managed, at least for me, to go beyond that personal experience and allow somebody else to reach into your poem and take something from it, too. And I think that's no. Well, that's a big accomplishment. That's true. But I guess, and not an easy thing to do. With I, an extremely personal sort of I guess my point. question is this is my question. No kid, Joe. Which right. is the part that I really want to know. It's the hard part. I'm the easy one. <laughs> you are so, in general, the way that you write, you're so controlled in what you're doing. And I feel like in that poem, yeah. You let some things go that you normally don't let go. Okay. And how do you change that? How do you let those things go and still construct a good poem, I guess? Give me the magic circle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what what is it that holds together your average like Walt Whitman poem, would you say? I he would not say I it's well together. No, I no, I would. I mean, I, I love Whitman, and I would say, and I think it's a similar question. I yeah. think to me, and I would yeah. say that it's. I would say that it's the. Approximately the length of the normal human breath. I don't think it has anything to do with breath. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a Ginsburg. I think I think well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to just shoot that down, but I'm just saying I don't think it is. I think it's about maybe it's about honesty. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't. No, I don't want to say. I know. Honesty. I don't. I know you don't want to say. I don't want to say that either. But there's something about like I think rawness about, about vulnerability. Yeah, well, I think that's true. But I think it's about, but but there's plenty of things that are wrong and vulnerable. And stupid and horrible. But, yes. Uh, I think it's about, if you can figure out how to throw yourself headlong into something, but headlong in a way where language is still forefront in your mind, then if you can combine those things... It's maybe even better than when language is forefront in your mind and you're not throwing yourself at long. Like you're maybe there's a self consciousness involved. And I don't mean self consciousness in the like I'm very conscious of what I'm writing, but in like I'm conscious of what I'm feeling and the way that I'm putting this down and having some sort of humor and humility and disgustedness about the things that I'm writing that are maybe kind of trite and maybe kind of ridiculous all at the same time. Absolutely, but there's some part of that of, like, understanding the constraint of the language while not caring about it at the same time. Yeah. 
which is a strange thing. That's, I don't know how do you box that up. Like, well, you can't not... box it up, but I also think that that's that's one of those things. It's like it's like doing it for years and years and hours and hours and hours. Where you need to be able to do that before you can even attempt to try to do that, right? Because it's like trying to play the piano and yeah. And, and you can make all the notes right, or you can make all the notes wrong, okay, but, but have all the yeah, emotion. but both. Yeah. But it's like you can have the emotion and not have the skill, and you yeah. can have the skill and not have the emotion. But you've got to have both, and then you've got to not just have also, the skill. You've got to just not not just have the skill, but you've got to let go of the skill at the same time, right? Which is why Jeff Begun, which is so a good. strange <laughs> thing, and is difficult to do, right? But like you've got to have built up that skill over the years, and then let go of it. You know, all right. David, which is, I just all right, wanted now to say, we're like really praising this poem a lot, I guess. But I do think no. you get that. In that. Yeah, there's well, shit I about wanna... that poem that's annoying. But I wanted to really say that, like, what? You, what was that? You, I said there's shit about the poem that's annoying. Uh-huh. But I really wanted to say was that, like, you really did that personal poem to your daughter, and I feel that particularly because I have a ten year old daughter, and we've gone through all of our own experiences and issues, and I think you really captured that in a specific and yet Catholic way where I could understand those feelings as a parent and not feel like you were just sort of glossing over what it means to be a parent or putting yourself in a situation that you hadn't, you know, like you just did something nice there. You hit a really nice balance. And I think it's really hard to do with something that's so particular and something so personal, and then to put it out as like sort of a universal experience. Mm-hmm. All right, so. listeners, that's what y'all have to do now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the point of fucking poetry, motherfuckers. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard uh, Dave Brinks say anyway that. Um, yes. <laughs> 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 Well, I just wanted to say that according what to did Dave, Dave Brinks, what did Dave say? Uh, it was it was Whitman's time in New Orleans, <clears throat> okay, that really helped him forge his voice. It wasn't a long time, but the I exposure, that, yeah, I that. the exposure to all the different you know influences right here in this crucible of the city. Well, Dave, I want to. No, we we did that once many years ago. I want to. We did. I want to with my daughter. With your daughter, we 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 tried to go visit all the Whitman spots in the city, which are hard to research. And I still have my document of what I found, but I would like to do that again. That was nice, and I remember. I remember her saying she she had her grass comment without knowing anything about Whitman. Right when we were sitting there on the restaurant, I have very few. Of you know my daughter, but that's a precious one. Uh, she, she, we were saying uh, the birthday boy. It was Whitman's birthday, and she's where's the birthday boy? Okay, we were reading poems. Every place we could identify in New Orleans associated with Whitman, we were reading a poem or two there. And I said, okay, it's for the birthday boy. My my little daughter was about three, and she where's the birthday? I said, oh, honey, you know, he's he's out there in the sky and the Mississippi River. He's under your shoes. Look under, yeah, under there. It was beautiful. But we will do that again. That we should great. do that again. Yeah. Absolutely. All 
Oh, well, thank you. let's thanks. do it. Let's thanks. bring Emma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks again. That was good. <laughs> we have with us David Moss, Just, who has been with us on all of our movie-related episodes. and That was two, right? Yeah. Well, we got another third one coming up. And he says he doesn't have anything poetry-related, but what about movie-related? What did you feel about the Oscar results? Oh, there should have been more wins for Call Me By Your Name, which Joseph Bienvenue loves and endorses with the highest <laughs> possible recommendation. Wow. And more recommend, uh, more more commendations for Phantom Thread as well. More commendations for Phantom Thread. So Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know what we watched last night? What did you watch last we night? We watched um, Florida Project last night. Oh, what did you think? I thought it was beautiful. Okay, that's nice. But <laughs> you couldn't say that it was exactly a snub that it was not an Oscar nomination. Um, best well, I think it was better than a lot of the Oscar nominated best pictures, to be honest. Hmm. But I, I think it was one of those movies where it's like, and I don't know, that's a weird thing that happens where it's like people either make it beautiful or have a plot, and it didn't have much of a plot. That's no. true. Yeah, that's what um, I, I'm. I'm. I'm actually struggling to remember like what kind of the. And there were characters, and I mean, like Willem Dafoe was good. Like he was interesting as the motel manager. Right. He no, was, it was a very was pleasant guy. Movie. I do remember liking it. Um, but it was kind of aimless. Like it was kind of like all over the place. But. Yeah, it's kind of some, what I call sometimes like a Sunday morning, like a brunch movie. Watch it in the afternoon, enjoy it. But then it, at the same sober. time, I'd rather an aimless movie than a movie with a bad plot. Was? Are you saying this is? A, you're saying it's I'm a, saying this was an aimless movie. Oh. The plot wasn't bad. It was just no. Aimless. Yeah, it I just didn't come together. I thought you were comparing it to a movie with a. But bad I'm plot. saying, well, I'm saying like I, I prefer that to a movie with a bad plot. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know. Some, I mean, very few movies manage to capture a sense of place anyway, so that's something. And Well, they did a good job with that, and I feel like, I mean, I totally understand the idea of making that movie. I mean... There are a lot of people, actually. I mean, it's a big social issue. I didn't really get that intense or dark in the Florida Project, but there's a huge, you know, population of, of... Economically disfranchised people that are living oh, Orlando's horrible, yeah. man. It's yeah. like that's totally, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I down can, with Disney. I can, I can totally understand. Like, if you, if you were in Orlando for some reason, being like, there's this whole weird culture of people that like migrant Disney workers or something. <laughs> well, not just migrant Disney workers alone. There's that too, but just this whole weird culture of people who are like in the service industry or whatever in Orlando that are not working for Disney that it's like you're really living hand to mouth and oh for sure yeah trying to figure out like this is not a big town otherwise except for the Disney fucking aspect of things but Coco you know? so whatever am I right but Coco yeah well <laughs> I heard that the Disney Corporation is going to donate one million dollars in honor of the success they've had with Black Panther, they're creating science, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math centers for, I guess, inner city youth or something. Okay, How much? So $1 million. Oh, that's it. For, oh, wow, for wow, STEM okay. centers, plural. That's like now, that's like me donating $1. Yeah. 
Just right. <laughs> I think that might actually be more generous, Joe. I might actually be doing a bigger percentage well, of my salary like, than Disney. Well, it'd be one percent of your salary would be more than a dollar, right? You made more than a hundred dollars this year, so it'd probably be more like you giving like you know five hundred, a thousand dollars, or you know whatever, hundreds of dollars at least. <laughs> well, I think she'll make a hundred thousand dollars. That's teacher. crazy. But uh, I mean, not to shit on Disney or anything. Although maybe, did we? Maybe, no, maybe, maybe, maybe. Sorry, maybe Disney. That's all right to do. Yeah. It's fine. But. uh... I'm the guest in the show now, just in case you didn't know. I'm sitting in the guest chair. <laughs> Mr. Makos uh, so is not, uh, I was thinking earlier it could be like, um, you know, I think I told you one time I wanted there to be guest hosts. So it's like one of us can be like the guest and then there's a guest host. So like Jay Leno? You might be the first guest. This is like the first yeah. guest. I think Reyna actually works as the, the, the guest host. Yeah, Reyna's pretty good. Yeah, you guys, work, you guys work pretty well together. Well, that's weird. I mean, that might be why I'm married. <laughs> To be your host, to co-host your podcast. I would, if, you, if you came to me and told me that you're like, Joseph, it's, you know, look, we have a good run. You know, we made it to 100. We put out the book with that Latin rank. You know, good poetry you know, book. you should bring in. And then Brainer was going to take over from there. I would be okay with that because, you know, this might be a good time, time to announce my idea that I want to go out on my own and eventually do. There is some uh, good poetry podcast. You should have Morgan Freeman on your podcast. Yeah. Nobody that's really in the business as much as them of creating stories like that. Yeah. I actually came here to talk about how Pluto and Goofy are both dogs, but Pluto is a dog. What is the deal with that? Talks. Yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. That's one of my basic <laughs> things against Disney is the Looney Tunes are so much cooler, man. Well, that's Animated, because, that's because, because Disney was a Nazi. Hmm? That's because Disney was mm, a Nazi. There you go. There you, there you go. go. There it is. <laughs> There's this, the veil has been lifted, everyone. You won't make it home tonight. Walt Disney was a Nazi. If you lived in Burbank, you wouldn't make it home tonight. You'd be like, Echelon. Uh, okay. Tinalini. Target. Go Bienvenue. Well, Termination. I mean, I was going to wait for people to come back with And another rewind. This, this Disney talk is scaring people away. <laughs> Goodbye, podcast audience. Go to parkinglotpodcast.com. Okay. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. I didn't really come prepared to read anything, so I kind of just had got whatever I could out of my car. Um, it looks like you got some good books. Out yeah, I hope so. Yeah. First? yeah, my name's Austin. I'm from New Orleans. I live here. Um, I write poetry, and uh, yeah, I work at a restaurant. Um, I don't really do a lot else. I do as little as I can that don't include those things. Fair enough, fair enough. Cool. <laughs> a poet with a day job. 
poet with a day job. <laughs> so you got you got some books here. You got Alan Dugan, who I love. Yeah, Alan Dugan. And I don't know what's on it's uh, Lorca. Oh, Lorca. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, David let me borrow this. I picked this. I woke up in the morning and I hadn't even. I was reading Poet in Spain at the time, and that was the only Lorca I'd ever read. Um, I was thinking about this all day long for some reason. And uh, Who's this translator on this one? Yeah, this is um, Greg Simon and Steve F. White. Okay. And it's got. Uh, it's bilingual. It's got the Spanish on the left and um, on the right, the English. Um, on the back of it, it's got, um, he gave a lecture at, um, yeah, this is all while he was at Columbia in New York. It's all so good, though. Um, a little more surreal than the poet in Spain. I guess he kind of went back to his roots and all that. Well, yeah, you want to read some poems for us? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with the Dugan. Um, it took me forever to find this because most of them are untitled. Um yeah, this is barely a poem, though. That's why I like it so much. It's just the, you know, it's so sure of itself. Like, yeah, it's a poem. Like, you know, it's... Well, good yeah. yeah, I know. Like, and it's in a book. It's in a book of po. You can't say it's not a poem. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so it's called Untitled Poem. <laughs> One tries to be sober and respectable so as not to be committed as insane by the extended family or state police. But every once in a while, something happens that blows the whole construct apart. One finds oneself stripping the pants off a little girl who says, Wow! Or else one falls down in, in the front yard of her house party and cuts a forehead just to go for more beer with the money taken from her mother's purse. All these activities supposedly have consequences, <laughs> but if one dresses correctly and has the right social attitude, haircut, and spare eyeglasses, it is possible to maintain that that, that little girl raped me, that that old lady gave me the money for beer, and that I walked into an open car door. If one does not have the suit and all, all one has to do is hide out for a few days, and the scars, girl, and old lady will fade away like the money. This is why there is no reason for suicide, and this is why there is no God. Wow, well, that's timely. <laughs> Certainly timely. That's a strange poem. Yeah, it is. I think it's better sometimes to have your, uh, the person you're supposed to root for or to be not a, necessarily a very good person or to be all done up like a hero. Well, Dugan um, certainly doesn't play himself off as a good person, but that's a weird poem to me because I don't know that that's Dugan talking as himself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not that he ever would think of himself as a good person, but that's almost him like a... <laughs> Putting a little barb out of other people, I think. I Maybe. think, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, a lot of them are like that, too, in that book. Or you don't know who he's talking about, if it's him or what. They're all they're all first person, though, so... Yeah, well, he always he's writes in first person, but then he has some things that are clearly not him that he mm -hmm. writes in first person, so it's kind of always a strange thing. 
Yeah, at least enough to make you empathize with that person, though. Like, but that's definitely, yeah, know, he definitely yeah, is always yeah. making you emphasize with empathize. Em- empathize. <laughs> yeah, I did that in the poem, No matter too, who the speaker so is, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's not avant-garde, you know, it's not artsy at all. There's no, like... He's very plain at times. Well, you know, it makes me think, I'm going to borrow your book for yeah. a second. The one Thaddeus used to always read, which I think is a funny poem. And I didn't really... It's not my favorite Dugan poem, but... I always thought it was a funny thing. Oh, God. Am I going to find it? Oh, here it is. Yeah. (laughs) Which is also maybe kind of topical. Take off on Armageddon for Ronald Reagan. As we tour the field and the pause before the final battle, you can see the flowers growing upside down among the opposing troops. The roses look like hairy turds in the dirt. And the insects are behaving like animals going wild in the stench because God wraths. They have stung everybody involved. The forces of good and the forces of evil are stuck. It's them against them. They're exactly equal. Exactly the same. There's nothing to fight about. It's all over. They've all been fundamentally stung. They stand there forever paralyzed in shit. They won an Armageddon. They got it. This concludes the tour of the battlefield. As we move beyond good and evil, let us hope a sexy hunger for catastrophe does not receive them from their statuesque military postures because the final battle will be, you know, the final battle. And then there will be no more good, no more evil, no more beyond good and no more beyond evil. No more roses growing upside down in the dirt. No more insects. And no more you and your rotten God. (laughs) Yeah, and it's barely about Ronald Reagan. He just uses that as a kind of fulcrum. But I think it's an interesting poem to think about Dugan because I don't know what the fuck his position is by the time I get to the end of that poem, right? Like, he's making fun of conservatives. But at the same time, he's sort of, he's all over the place uh-huh. in the poem, which is interesting. And I feel like that's a lot of how Dugan works, which is why that poem you read is, it's very hard for me to parse what the fuck he's doing in there. Yeah. Because I don't think he's saying... Well, he never chooses a side in any of those poems either. He's good at kind of just bashing things, which is and, but still thing, being... Uh, but I don't think he's being apologetic for the person sleeping <laughs> with an underage girl. <laughs> no. But at the same time, I think he's acknowledging the situation. So one might yeah, say, that it does happen, know. and that yeah, you can still uh, you can still justify it. I guess. I mean, I don't know. And maybe to go even that on some level, making fun of people justifying it, but it's hard. Well, they were both kind of similar to the one I read and the one you read, and the no more beyond good, no more beyond evil, no more beyond, um, like, I don't know. Which is part of what I like about him. I mean, I can see someone thinking that's problematic, but I also kind of like that about him because I think 
if we're missing anything about any discussions at this point, it's complexity. And that's something Dugan's very much about, although his language might be simple. His way that he's looking at things is, not, is anything but simple, right? He's very much uh, allowing a lot of complexity. To yeah. But he makes it so simple, too. It's, maybe it's what we were talking about earlier, you know, learning all the rules and uh, building yourself up and letting it go, you know, letting it just explain itself. Um, I don't know, maybe that's it. I know he was a teacher, too, um, who taught poetry. Yeah. But still, it just sounds like a guy sitting next to you at the bar going off about something, you know. I love some of his, he doesn't get imagistic very often, but I love some of his imagistic ones so much, but they still do the same thing. All right, I want to find this one I'm thinking of, which I really love. A lot of them are just called Untitled Poem or Poem. Yeah, but I know this one. I mean, but yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is kind of doing the opposite of everything that I think about how poetry works and it's successful. Well, and you can tell he's still challenging himself, too. I mean, the range of all those poems, too, like, I don't know. uh, Yeah, he does have a... You're right. I mean, he has a big range, nonetheless, somehow, despite (laughs) him giving himself some pretty serious constraints. I think language-wise, he gives himself some pretty serious constraints. Um, but despite that, yeah, I mean, he has a pretty big range. I think that's in poems three, let's see. <coughs> yeah. So this is one that is more imagistic, but I really love it. And it's much more complicated than it initially seems. Barefoot for a scorpion. Oh yeah, that's a great one. The color of the sack and stinger of the scorpion was red and got its beauty from their poison. Bare feet ache with the threat, the eyes with praise, the serum for revulsion. Praise be then, that the armored teardrop searching on the tail could miss feet, sting sight, and reconcile death's stamping panic with the vision of form, red at the point where chance and law join. <laughs> and that's just beautiful from an imagery standpoint, but it still has that moral ambiguity uh-huh. that we're talking about, like, uh, more ambiguity. He can't see the scorpion as a totally evil thing, right? Yeah. It's this. Yeah, that fits into that same boat too. Wow. No, I, I, I like the poets like that, though. I'm, I'm trying to read more people like that. That uh, I don't know. I'll start writing things sometimes, and halfway through, I'm like, man, what am? Can I get back to what I'm even trying to write about? You know, like I'm just kind of going on and on, which you take it out later, and it's part of editing, but. I mean, once you allow language to take off, it well, can become so complicated, you know? I'm, and that poem that I just read, too, the other amazing thing is, it's a totally third-person poem, but it's entirely about the speaker at the same time. He's yeah. good at doing that, too, where it's like, okay. 
like he was just this walking the down the street and saw a scorpion or something. It's always about the speaker at the yeah. same time. You don't ever uh, lose sight of that, despite it being third person. Yeah, at least that. I don't know. I like the straight up, like, um, Richard Hugo was great for that, too. Just like yeah, short, no, he's compact he's lines that are poems in themselves, you know? Like, it's urgent. Um, but then with him, you can feel like he's starting to... Most of his poems are about towns, you know? It's not like the Alan Dugan. Well, Hugo can get, as much as he fights it, mm-hmm. can get a bit cliche at times. Dugan never does it. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, it's almost amazing considering the topics that he deals with. Like, oh, I think this is going to get, it never does. It never does. He's very good at slipping out of those little nooses. Uh, he's really good at it. Well, uh, is it okay if I yeah, read uh, one more? Yeah. Well, uh, is it cool or if I read one more? Yeah, please. Yeah, because this is another one I figured might go with that, that it's also, like, barely a poem, but it's still something that happened. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, yeah, so it's also untitled, but, uh... This is your poem. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is another just, uh... Yeah, and it's untitled, but, um... Yeah, I don't know. So every now and then, something will happen, and... You'll feel something from it. You could make a piece of art about it or write a poem about it, you know, and later on be like, that was a, what, you know, what the fuck was I thinking even, but still have that, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, at least to acknowledge things you felt before or have thought of uh, places you were. We met for the second time last night at another crowded place, and I don't think we'll meet again. The beige color of your leather shoes matched your long fur coat, and your eyes were bigger than the buttons, only more elusive than I remember, and no longer surrounded by silver glitter, or tucked away behind big blue sunglasses at the New Year's Eve party on the third floor in the living room, watching the terrible band play standing to the balcony, standing next to the balcony doors when we first spoke. I woke up late this morning with a headache and my ears were still ringing. If only they'd have given you a microphone too at the bar, I would have remembered your uncle's name and whether or not it was in fact his art installation I'd seen in the gallery on Royal Street the week before that I am hearing of again. Of the few details I gathered, your birthday is in August, making you a Leo. However, you once remained silent for ten whole days on a meditation retreat in China and know your favorite poets well, memorizing lines from the early romantics your father used to read to you as a child. He died of alcoholism the same age as Kerouac did, and you hold on to this as something meaningful and holy. Thankfully, we decided to leave the bar and I even put another hole in my shoe during the long walk into the quarter just to peek in through the windows of massage parlors and esoteric shops, all of which were closed and as inevitable as myself, not having the same fear of dying that you did. Anyways, we continued walking, 
I tried as hard as I could not to blow my cigarette smoke in your direction. We passed by a building which I'd always thought was an apartment complex that turned out to be a retirement home. You tried your hardest not to acknowledge the old people in the lobby staring off into space and told me if you thought about it too hard you'd start to cry. I had no idea where we were going until we reached the street where you said your car was parked on. We shared a hug in the street before you turned your shoulder and hung your head as I watched you disappear into the fog of Burgundy Street on a less than average night. Continuing up the street, I stopped at the corner store and had a coffee and a pizza and gave a quarter to a gutter punk outside and wrote a bad poem on the bus stop bench while watching a train go by along the river. Perhaps we both knew it was inescapable, but for some reason I'd even have been willing to cheat myself then and there with you, as if we were much older and had learned at least one thing from each other. For you'd... For you, I'd have hoped the thought of dying could then become peaceful, and for myself, I'd have only wished my slice of pizza had more grease on it, or at least enough for glitter to have stuck to it. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. Um, yeah, so, that's what I mean, it's barely even a poem. Oh, say holy sunflower, holy, holy sunflower. <laughs> Some flower sutra. <laughs> Some guy read that at the Maple Leaf the other week too. Refreshing. <laughs> hey, that was nice. Yeah, um, we were talking about Alan Dugan and how some of them are not barely poems, but I mean, just so sure of themselves and not like done up in any kind of. Uh, Y'all miss the whole Alan Dugan discussion, David. <laughs> no, I like that though. I mean, I came in midway. Wait, what? I said I came in midway, but that immediately was Sunflower Sutra. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Sunflower Sutra. That was from the, um, so he heard, um, that was when he met Carl Solomon at the, uh, Insane Asylum, right? Because he heard William Blake's uh, uh, sunflower in his head. Mm-hmm. All right, but are yeah. we ready for some poetry trivia? Okay. <laughs> we need two Here's teams. Sorry, you put yourself into some teams here. Can I have one? Can I have Kai play? You want to play? Yeah. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So now we're going to play a game called Poetry Trivia. And it's trivia taken from our first 49 episodes. We actually might take a trivia question and bonus question taken from this actual episode. Okay. So, so stay tuned for a winner. We're going to play some poetry trivia. What Mako said was only partially accurate. Okay. <laughs> a lot of these are pulled from past episodes, but not all of them are. But this is some poetry trivia here. And we're doing this pub style. We've got two teams here. They're going to compete. See how they do. We've got three rounds. Makos has not seen these questions, so he's we're going to Makos is going to compete against the two teams. I am. I need a pen though. Does anyone have a pen I can borrow? Jesus, you're a pony. You don't have a pen. I feel no. like I'm Danny Kirk. That's what he always says. I'll be. I'll be right. I'll be right back. I'll be right. And okay, so we're going to begin. This is round one. Round one. 
No, you don't need to. You, you're writing your answers. We're gonna. We're gonna. This is round one. Question number one. Which poet's last words were reputedly, my vocabulary did this to me. Your love will let you go on. All right, question number two. This impressionist composer wrote Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, based on a poem by Stéphane Mallarmé of the same name. Jeff is going to be very disappointed in you that you don't get this question. We're going to stop helping him. <laughs> here's an easier one. Here's an easier one. Which of these jobs did Charles Bukowski not hold at one point in his life? Hey, listen. Postman, pickle factory worker, shoe salesman, or warehouse worker? Can you repeat the question? Which of these jobs did he not hold? Postman, pickle factory worker, shoe salesman, or warehouse worker? We debunked that in the previous episode. <laughs> we, we, we debunked it. We, de- we debunked it. You haven't listened to the podcast. Yeah, we... It's probably not... It's, pro- it's pretty... Unlikely than those. We 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 ask we ask the pros. <laughs> we wanted to be corrected too. All right. <laughs> Almost all of the manuscripts of Sylvia Plath's Ariel were written on Smith College stationery. As a result, the paper was this somewhat unusual color. Jesus. <laughs> So, I'm just going to give you a hint here. Think of the most opposite color that you think is black. Yeah, well. What would she hate in your mind? What would she hate in your mind? Lavender. That's close. Stop. 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 Stop giving clues. (laughs) Is this five? Question five? That was number four. I don't know how you guys survive. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Question number five. Critical thinking. Five. This poet collaborated with fellow New York school poet John Ashbery to write the novel A Nest of Ninnies. I love that book. It's so good. This poet collaborated with fellow New York school poet John Ashbery to write a novel on Nest of Ninnies. So who wrote Nest of Ninnies with John Ashbery, basically? Alright, question number six. In 1962, Octavio Paz was named Mexico's ambassador to which country? What country was Octavio Paz named ambassador to? Alright. Let's see if we know our mythology. Ann Carson's book-length poem, Autobiography of Red, has a main character who's loosely based on and shares a name with which monster whose cattle Hercules stole in his tenth labor? Oh my, what the fuck? I know. 
So Ann Carson has a has a book length poem, autobiography of Red, and the main character is based on a monster Hercules stole cattle from in his tenth labor. What's the monster's name? Too many cattle raids. I promise you the next one will be easier. Number eight. Pull My Daisy, the 1959 short film directed by Robert Frank and Alfred Leslie, is narrated in what is rumored to be an entirely improvised narration by which beat poet? Painter of Alice Neal's. Yes, but that's not the question. <laughs> Alright, number nine. This fictitious modernist Australian poet was first published in the magazine Angry Penguins. <laughs> well, if you listened to the episode which Jeff Magano was a guest on, which Jeff Magano was a guest on, then you would maybe know the, the answer. Is that what you do when you move into the person who research all of their work? Yeah. It's a little weird. The final question of round one. Oh, there's rounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's three rounds. Boston Marxist avant-garde poet of the 1930s, John Wheelwright, was famously known to wear a coat made out of what kind of fur? <laughs> All right, do we have our answers? Yep. While I while I score those, I'm gonna give the next round is a picture round where you identify the poets, so you can be working on that while I score these. <laughs> a slight clue is most of these poets have been on the episodes. Oh my god. Oh wow. Dude, this is embarrassing. I don't even really know anybody. Some of them are in their younger days, so I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> well, if you can read Greek, that one's a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to let y'all continue, but I'm going to reveal the answers to round one. Number one. <laughs> my vocabulary did this to me. Was Jack Spicer? Jack Spicer. Did you get it? Did you get it? Number one. Yes. Prelude to an afternoon of a fawn is Claude Debussy. Didn't know that. Who got that? Anyone? Charles Bukowski, while he was a postman, a pickle factory worker, and a warehouse worker, he was never a shoe salesman. Yay! Damn it. I guess that's not something you proud of. I missed that. I missed that one. I had that, I had that originally, but then I changed it. 
fuck. Smith Stationery, that Soviet platform area, most of area long, was pink. John Ashbury wrote Nest of Ninnies with James Schuyler. Octavio Paz was the ambassador to India. Crazy. Autobiography of Red was about Garon. Okay. Um, Jack Kerouac narrated Pull My Days. I love that. Ern Malley was the famous. Ern Malley was the famous fictitious Australian modernist poet. Someone got it right. Someone got it right. David Rowe. That's pretty good stuff. Because he's old as shit. And then uh, <laughs> John Wheelwright's coat was raccoon fur. Yeah. No one got that one. No one got raccoon fur. No, he did say that. I just I know, but that. y'all didn't listen to him. I should have no, listened to him. No, took it before he said it. That's not fair. He said it. I see cat, bear, crossed out in deer. <laughs> and bear. He said it. <laughs> All right, I gotta go with what's on the paper. Yeah, but it's okay. I think y'all are so, tired. After the first round, <laughs> Ostentatious is in the lead with six. We need a bigger boat is in, in second place with four. And Women's Comet has one. That's famous. Women's Women's Comet. He is working on his own, but I don't know. So, Thanks, asshole. Which one? Which one? Jack Spicer. I knew it. I knew it. So finalize your. Photo I'm around. really, I'm really stoned. Finalize your photo around, and we'll, we'll see how we did on those. All right, let's see. Let's see. I mean, this was not easy. To be fair. But you got a hard one, though. All right. Ostentatious. Far and away, it took that one. Eight. Eight on that one. That's amazing. <laughs> That's David Brown. <laughs> yeah. He's ostentatious. <laughs> we Need a Bigger Boat came in second place with six. Great. And Whitman's Comet got four. Although Whitman's Comet has the distinction of being the only one who identified Jacques Blanc. Jacques Blanc. <laughs> the one who looks like he's having an orgasm. He's sound poet. I said I did give them the hint. I said it's a sound poet. I don't remember the fucking name. Alright, well, I mean, let's, let's see who they were. Number one was Jose Lozano Lima. That's very difficult. That, is, that was meant to be a difficult one, but I like him. Number, number Jose Lozano was number one. Cuban poet. Wonderful Cuban poet. You should read it if you haven't read Number two, although she was younger than you're probably used to seeing her, is Bernadette Mayer. Oh my god. Number three, with his crazy shirt, also much younger than you're used to seeing him, is Derek Walcott. Which 
Did two people get that or one person? I was impressed with that one too. Yes, Derek Walcott. Four was a giveaway. Seth, uh, five, Park Crane. Kind of a giveaway, maybe. I got that. It's a great picture of Number six is Billy Childish in full-on dandy mode. Number seven is Everett Maddox, which Mago should be embarrassed that he got wrong. I'm used to seeing another picture of him. Number eight, which Mago Scott Wright impressively is Jeff Bonk, who is a sound poet. And we've had two, strangely, we've had multiple guests do imitations of Jeff Bonk on in episodes because. That's and that's how he looks. Although he's also very young in that picture. Nine, William Carlos Williams, kind of an easy one. Ten, a hard one, Joyce Miss. How do you spell that better? M A N S O U R. Easy enough. Um, women, you had four last time. I have a grand total of five. Yeah. We need a bigger boat. What did y'all have last time? Y'all had uh, four. How many? Last round? Six. Six. Uh, y'all had six, right? Yeah. Six and six. Oh, yeah, y'all did. You're right. You're right. Uh-huh. Y'all, and y'all had eight? It's a sliding scale of we're not mentioning them. You get all ten. But y'all are in striking distance. We've got... National Book Award and the National Book Critics Circle Award. What year? 1976. Pulitzer National Book Award and National Book Critics Award. Circle Award. Did they call that a, a writing triple crown? It's a writing triple crown. Look, there's a theme for that. It wasn't Rod McEwen, everyone. Number two. This Italian poet published seven collections of poetry from 1954 to 1971, but outside of Italy, especially in the U.S., he's more well-known as a filmmaker. Say that again. He published seven collections of poetry, 1954 to 1971, but in America, he's more well-known as a filmmaker. That's not it. All right, Makos, you've got this one. Number three, which poet's tombstone is inscribed with the two-word epitaph called back? It was the epitaph. Called back. Called back. <laughs> Number four, the word Dada, as in the literary movement Dadaism, is the French word for what? <laughs> Number five. Number five. In what city was German language poet Rainier Maria Rilke born? 
Number six. Which poet, on being awarded the Pulitzer Prize in 1971, in objection to the Vietnam War, did not accept the money, but donated it to draft resistance? What you say that again? 1971, he was awarded the Pulitzer Prize, but because he objected to the Vietnam War, he didn't accept the money and donated it to draft resistance. Are we good? We good? We got answers? Number seven. Which poet was the first black female streetcar conductor in San Francisco? First black female streetcar conductor in San Francisco. That's That's way too modern for that fact to be a fact. (laughs) That sucks. They're really oppressive in their streetcar hiring. But who knows that? That's fucking awesome. Nobody knows that about her. That's really cool. cool. She revealed it for the first time on Oprah. Well, then I'm glad somebody said something about it. Oprah has some things about her. Yeah. As far as I know, I think that was the first time she revealed it was in an interview on Oprah. When did she? <laughs> okay, come on. All right, number eight. Which British poet, a friend of Dr. Samuel Johnson, wrote works including his masterpiece, Jubilate Año, while imprisoned in an insane asylum for his religious beliefs. A feature on one of the six posts you made out of part of episodes. Oh, really? I forget. Which episode? You were there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number nine. Yeah, well, you're on the right track, but that's not his name. I don't remember his last name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, it's a we know it is a very common name. I know, and I can never remember it. Uh, Joseph, what's his name? You should know better than I I know, I just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Jack Black, but I don't know. Jack Black. I don't know. Jack Black. Number nine. In conjunction with the release of his book, Anta Parezo, Chilean poet Raul Zarita had this Poesia Acheon poetry action take place above Manhattan. <laughs> what? What happened above Manhattan in 1980-something? I don't have the date on here. I know. I know. Above Manhattan, Raul Zarita, in conjunction with his book, Ante Parezio's release. I can see the cat. In New York. This is a big event. It's Jeffrey. This happened above Manhattan. That was the book. That's kind of, I mean, even if you have no idea, you could probably guess this. Yeah, no shit. One more time. Above Manhattan, in release with Raul Zarita's book, this poetry action, this poesia action, happened above Manhattan. 
Jeffrey. Jeffrey. The cat poet is Jeffrey something, right? Well, that's the name of his cat is Jeffrey, yes. See, I put the first one. What's happening? All right. All right. Last question. Last question. Ginsburg's Howl and Other Poems was published in 1956 as what number in City Lights Press Pocket Poet Series? What number was it? I have no idea, but we'll see. All right. We want to get the answers to round three and see one. The Triple Crown winner was John Ashbery. All right, the Italian poet, more known as a filmmaker, was Pierre Paolo Pasolini. Someone got it. Oh, yeah, we got that one. He was very handsome. Yeah. Called back on the tombstone, Emily Dickinson. If you lived in Amherst, you might remember. I've been to Amherst. Which Amherst? Massachusetts. was in Amherst, Ohio, too. Dada is hobby horse. I accepted wrecking horse. Oh, I've heard that before. Shoot. <laughs> that would never have recalled it. Is a hobby horse like a thing children actually do? It's a stick with the horse head on it. Like, like when you have it on like a broomstick, right? Like, yeah. I accepted wrecking horse, though. I figured it's close enough. Rilke was born in Prague. It was Prussia at the time. Or Austria. Trick question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did dirty. The German part of fraud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the person who, no one got this one, I don't think, who rejected the prize, the prize money for Pulitzer Prize was W.S. Merwin. Nice. Couple of people got this one. First black female streetcar conductor, Maya Angelou. I was about to just say, like, what else she was a She did that as well, yeah. Jubilatiano, <laughs> uh, Insane Asylum, Christopher Smart. Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest is the documentary. Yeah. Christopher Guest has fingers in the back. Sorry, Christopher Smart. His cat is smart. Jeffrey is the cat. Yeah, Jeffrey's. It's for my cat, Jeffrey. Terrible! Terrible! He's so fucking crazy. It's awesome. His cat bones are great. Yeah, Jeffrey with the. That's why I was like, Jeffrey! But no. Yeah, my cat, Jeffrey. But that's his cat. That's his cat. Uh, Raul Zarita had skywriters write 15 lines of his poem about New York above the skyline. Did you accept one? I did not accept I thought it was a short poem. Shoot, it was only the first 15 lines. He didn't do the whole poem. It was just the first 15 lines. Yeah. 127. And it was five planes. It was five different planes doing it. It was not all one plane. It was the nine question, number nine? That was... He, yeah, you got that one. Skywriting, he wrote the... 
Did they? Who else got that? Lines. You were the only one who got that one. You got it. Visual poetry. It was not a haiku that they put up there. Um. And then number ten, no one got this. It was number four in the City Lights series. Number four. How the fuck are we supposed to know that? Well, I mean, I, you can guess that. What was number one, two, three? Gasoline. Gasoline was probably in there. Yeah. Lunch poems. I think that was probably later. I think lunch poems was probably later, but I might be wrong. I don't know. I'd be, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably one of the things he said. He said sevens and nines. Like, what are you expecting? We're very western. So, third place is Whitman's Comet with nine. We Need a Bigger Boat is second place with 14. Almost. Almost pulling it out in that second round. I got nine by myself. And you guys got 14. Ostentatious. Three of you. <laughs> Came out on top with 16 points. And because we forgot to bring the real prize, I have a selection of chapbooks and oh, small press yeah. books and Tons of high fives. three of my own books just in case that you can pull from for prizes here. Or we can wait for the real prize. For the real prize, you might like the real prize less. The real prize was no good poetry t-shirts that we forgot to bring. Oh, I don't work. So we will do that. But I think that uh, I think that wraps out our episode pretty nicely. Magos, do you want to say anything to close us out here? We got to 50 episodes, which I didn't really know was going to happen. I'm glad it is. Maybe we'll get to 100 episodes. Yeah, and as we approach Poetry Month, we've got a lot of good things coming up for our second season, which will be basically two weeks away. 52 will be close out of the season. Although, and we started, special at 50. And we started this podcast at New Orleans Poetry Festival last year, and we will be there in not too long. Yeah, just under a month. Just about uh, a month. So please come out to that. I think we're going to in the next couple of episodes maybe have some people from New Orleans Poetry Fest. Good luck Talking editing. About it a little bit. Good luck editing this one down. Ah well, I've had worse. All right, <laughs> I've got one. I've got I've got one poem that I just want to read. This short poem. Okay, read your poem. I just wrote this this morning. It's just really short and simple. It says, "So much glitter on her low-cut boot, heel combs the crease below the overpass, where all rain dissolves. I raison d'être." The house keys lost down the sewer drain when masks fall off the same old way. Topiary garden in a district of fame framed not to discuss all the egoic fuss all while rents still going up. Change that T to a B and that poem's totally different. Alright, thank y'all for joining us. What T? What now? Do you want to defend your... No, what T to what B? Boot to boob. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, thank you, everybody. <laughs>